Welcome back, everyone, to the Long Telegram episode. Uh, this week, pretty exciting. We're going to have our first ever trivia round, see who knows their geopolitics the best. We got whiteboards, we got questions, and I think everyone has a little bit of something to drink, so maybe by the time we get to the trivia, everyone won't even know how to think. But before we get to that, Andrew's been begging for this ever since before the podcast started. We're talking about multipolarity, so Andrew, why don't you take it off and lead the conversation about what is near and dear to your heart more than anything else in the entire world, whether that be family, girlfriend, or whatever, multipolarity, and the end of the United States as a country. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll preface this section just by saying I think what you just stated, Clay, is part of the problem, I think, with general discourse around multipolarity. People tend to think it means the end of the U.S., and so I think that's why people are so... um, just naturally sort of repelled by the idea, but uh, I mean, we'll get into that shortly. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of debate about sort of the state of the international arena, sort of the distribution of power um, and, and how it's been spread uh, going back, you know, to the early 2000s up until today. Um, you know, we've seen characterizations of the world being, quote unquote, increasingly multipolar. Um, there are plenty of authors and academics that think that the world is unipolar. And a lot of people, I think Joe Biden included, would say that the world is maybe in a bipolar moment um, with the U.S. and China being the two primary poles. There's a lot of questions that we could ask about multipolarity. Um, you know, one, are we in a multipolar world? Uh, is multipolar is multipolarity good for global stability? Um, is it good for the United States? What does it mean for policy making decisions? I mean, should um, we start a little bit more basic? What is a multipolar world? What is a bipolar world? What is a unipolar world? What What do we mean when we talk about polarity? A lot of assumptions going in here. Well, yeah, I was going to get there, and I'd even take it a step further back, Clay, and just go to what is a pole, right? Because all those assume that you know what a pole is and that you have a common understanding of poles. And I think that's a big question. Um, you know, there's a lot of different definitions in the literature. I think, um, you know, the average person is going to think of a pole, you know, North and South Poles, right? What do they do? They're centers of influence, basically. So I think that's probably the most um, apt way to think about them. Uh, you know, I think some academics are going to have harder definitions of that, you know, tying it directly to military might or economic prowess. Um I think we can think of it sort of broadly in those terms. A unipolar uh, environment is basically, uh, you know, a world in which there's one uh, far and away superpower that dictates the rules for everybody else within the system. Uh, You know, a bipolar world. And yeah, I guess we'll leave it there. A bipolar system, um, you know, would be something akin to what we saw between the U.S. and the Soviet Union in the 80s. Uh, where you sort of have two primary powers um, and all the other states in the system are balancing to either side of that uh, dynamic. And then a multipolar world being the most common in history, um, being sort of the state of the world when modern day geopolitics was first founded with the Treaty of Westphalia um, back in the 1600s, um, is where there's, you know, a, I mean, this is where like what we're going to get into. The way that I would describe it is where the majority of power is distributed between more than two states. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of definitions about that, and we can discuss that uh, today. But, um, yeah, I think the reason why we're having this discussion is because I've for a long time been a proponent of uh, the current in the international system being multipolar. Um, 
I think it's been that way for some time and it's been moving further in that direction over time. Um, I know that there's been a surprising amount of dissent on this podcast from people who believe, I guess, that we live in a bipolar world or unipolar. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the record for once. Um, Clay, we've had some chats offline about this. So, you know, I'm hoping that you're honest to your true beliefs here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess let's start there. Like, what is everybody's current understanding of the world? Do we feel like it's, I mean, we could even go sort of a level down and talk about like, you know, this is all about like distribution of power. How do we want to define power? Do we want to use hard measures, soft measures? I mean, there's a lot to to talk there's, about here. Look, there's one poll, Andrew, and it's the Washington Monument. Okay, there's one poll. All right, there is not. It's not a bipolar world. There's no multi polls. Okay, there's Uno, Uno dos poll. Okay, so let's get that one out of the poll way. to rule them all. Maybe. <laughs> That's the argument. I mean, this is what I was yeah. concerned about. Is this is how I feel like a lot of people sort of see the world? Is you know very very outdated let's say that you know Uno as very anachronistic andrew okay, one so thing I'd, I'd want, i mean ahead, andrew bro. one thing i want to get into is there's kind of like you know obviously in terms of like global wealth and population the percentage of that which is in either the united states or directly aligned western countries that's declining over time right and that's just like that's very obviously true um but I think on the other hand, you can say, does the world operate in a fundamentally different way now? Like, you know, even even if the United States is only 30% of GDP, global GDP instead of 50% or whatever it is, does that, how does that change geopolitics? Is there like a significant break? And like, where does that begin? And what's the significance of that? Because that's what I'm not really hearing. So you're asking about how do these different environments tie to on the ground observations like you you don't feel like what you've seen is you know what you'd expect to see in a multipolar environment is that what you're saying like you think the world is pretty similar to how it was in 1991 i wouldn't is say it's necessary i wouldn't say it's necessarily similar I, I mean i would say the way i would describe it i think it's a bipolar world but one pole is significantly stronger than the other pole and then you have, you know, it's never, you know, th these are categories. They're, they're obviously not 100% true. Like, in terms of cultural dominance, USA is still clearly, it's, a, it's like, you know, in terms of culture, I think it is a unipolar world. Everyone kind of operates within kind of American discourse on things. Um, in terms of like, you know, economic power, I think it very much is a bipolar world in terms of the rise of China. Um, and then in terms of, military or geopolitical um that's kind of hard to say but i'd say mostly it's still a, a unipolar world with some aspects really? of multi of multipolarity coming in or maybe it's a bipolar world if you know China's... i'm hearing that the only word that it's the only place that it's unipolar so far is in culture is that right yeah yes okay but I, I don't think the world. Do you think the Do you think the world operates significantly different than it did in 1991, or how does it? If you think that so. I mean, yeah, I think it does in a lot of really major ways. I mean, one, I think one of the biggest ones. We like to joke about it, but I think it's uh, dangerous to do so. Is like BRICS, right? Like here's an organization that you know we've laughed about they're not able to put policy together and it's all these different countries with conflicting interests and you know they're not going to be able to do anything i think what we've seen with 
Um, you know, the six new uh, invites that came last year. And honestly, Mille winning in Argentina and Argentina not probably joining BRICS is a big boon for BRICS. Like that's, The application Argentina is a miss right now. Hmm? By Mille, do you mean the people that make washers and dryers? No, I mean the presidential nominee in Argentina. Mm. Um, you know, by Argentina not winning, or yeah, by Argentina not joining, I think that's a big boon for BRICS. I think that's, you know, a very clear sign of um, a consolidated effort amongst countries that have been, uh, you know, sanctioned or cast to the side by the United States, by the West, now actually having uh, clout and like, uh, you know, a real name on the international stage. I think what we've seen with Europe militarizing over, you know, the last couple of years with Russia, Ukraine, and Macron going so far as to say that he sees Europe as a third pole, or once he's been saying forever, is very different. That's fine. I mean, I think these are big differences. What we saw in the '90s—that was the question. Okay. Well, like, I mean, uh, so go ahead. Go all right. Ahead. Well, yeah. Let me hop in here. Here. So, a few Please. things. The difference between unipolarity and, multi- and bipolarity, I think, is actually rather meaningless if you, you know, follow the reading of Kenneth Waltz in terms of from a structural perspective. What's there between unipolarity and bipolarity? Not much there. Um, I just have some questions here, right? BRICS, great. That's a great talking point. How would you say, though, the influence of BRICS compares to, say, the non-aligned movement during the Cold War? Um, does it is it more powerful of, than that? How did, is it then equal to the Warsaw Pact? Like, what is... Like, it? By, if the world's multipolar, then seemingly it would have even more power and influence than the non-aligned movement would have. And I just wonder if that's true. Is it what more influential than the Warsaw Pact? definition of multipolar? Like, why would that be the case? When there's, when the number of great powers in the system is, is greater than two in a way that they can project power outside of their own regional area. So you have Russia, who's a regional hegemon in Eastern power. Europe. China, which China. still has done a, a hegemon in Southeast Asia. There's no poles in Africa or Latin America. And then you have the United States, who is a clear regional hegemon in North America and is able to project its power outward in the world. I mean, from like a technical perspective, like distribution of economics, sure. But the United States only had 50% of the global economy in like the 40s. And once it was in the 50s, it started dropping and never hit. And the U.S.'s share of the global economy is roughly the same as it was in 1991. Um, Ben, go on. You're muted. Sorry, lad. Uh, so I would like to contribute to Clay's point here. Uh, adding to Clay's point, if you add the United the U.S. economy with their NATO allies plus Australia and Japan, who are NATO partners, and South they Korea. make up seventy five percent of the world's economy. Go on, Clay. That is a true fact, by the way. So yeah. So I mean, sorry. Go ahead. And, and I mean, right, so, right, economics, I think, the West as as a block is quite down. I mean, look, the question is, do we have multipolarity in any way that represents Europe in the 19th and early 20th century? Where, like, Ezra was saying, what, what, what does it matter if the world's unipolar, multipolar, bipolar, or whatever? And I think the big one is when it comes down to how states behave and the, and the likelihood of war. In a multipolar system as a way to keep the system from being multipolar and having any state become predominant that it can then shift into bipolarity, unipolarity, you have acts of balancing, which naturally leads to war. And I don't see the world being in any such situation where that's the case right now. And so we're sort of in the situation where like, yeah, the US and China 
are the two strongest powers right now. I don't think they're as strong as the U.S. and the USSR was in 1952. But in comparison to, like, 1989, 1980s, probably. So, like, to Ezra's point, like, how how do we see things being changed? I. I, I think a lot of this is you sort of, a lot of facts, but meaningless. I don't know what your point is. The point is, uh, in terms of how the system is, is operating right now, it seems like it's not that different than, than unipolarity or therefore bipolarity before it. Like, we're not shifting back to a concert of Europe You're system. you the system hasn't changed at all? Not in like a meaningful way from, Since if you just to view it from the third image. I mean, uh, what bipolarity? Since so, like, 1940s, you said. Since 1945. I would that argue the United States was the hegemon the even while the USSR ex- existed. And now we're just erasing bipolarity like this. You guys are. Addicted. I mean, like, at a certain point, though, the USSR was not a functioning power the way the United States was. Yeah, but its ability to project force and sort of—I mean, I—I I think. Listen, what I will say which is that China has a lot nothing. Of the- like that. A lot of the parameters that we use to define a poll today would not have applied to the USSR back in the 80s. So I do such think as something. I think that like today we require like something that we require in a poll is to be like super technologically advanced. That was not the USSR. You what know, was the space to, race then? What? What was the space race then? That was 20 years prior. What do you? I, so I agree with you, Andrew, but that's why Japan was viewed as the United States' number one up-and-coming geopolitical enemy throughout the 80s and the 90s was because Japan had superseded the USSR. And they thought was, eventually yeah, Japan it, would overtake the There's a lot of different West, parameters that, that were used to measure like polls by. I think we're very inconsistent <laughs> um, with, with what we use. I mean, listen, I, I think the conversation's getting a little bit loosey-goosey. Um, there was a recent uh, discussion. So, I mean, back in April, there's an article in Foreign Affairs titled The Myth of Multipolarity, um, all about America's staying power. Um, there are a bunch of uh, academics that responded to that article in a more recent issue of Foreign Affairs. And then the uh, OPs, the original posters, uh, responded to those. I think as somebody that has felt and still does believe that we are living in a multipolar world, um, I think there were a lot of arguments in the myth of multipolarity and by those two authors, they're uh, two Dartmouth professors, I believe, um, that are pretty prominent writers about American unipolarity. Um, They had some good arguments. You know, I think one of them was that, uh, you know, using a baseball analogy, we tend to cheer on the singles of middle and lesser powers, um, but then, you know, criticize the U.S. whenever they don't hit a home run. So basically, like, the bar is super high for the U.S. and super low for everybody else, which I do think is maybe true in a lot of the sort of circles around multipolarity, um, that that we don't give the U.S. enough credit for their achievements. Um, You know, I think another one is that even though, you know, power balances are shrinking between the U.S. and other countries, you know, the U.S. is still far and away the most powerful country, and so, you know, we should still think of the system as unipolar. Like, I do think that there are valid arguments. Um, I just don't agree with them. Um, uh, let, but- let's just, let's just, for sake of argument, because this is just going to go nowhere, let's just say the world's in some way, shape, or form multipolar. What is the so what? What's going to happen now that didn't happen over the last 20, 50, 70 years, depending on 
you know, if you believe unipolarity and bipolarity are somehow functionally different on a structural level. Are we going to see more nuclear proliferation to states? Are we going to see more wars break out, which you would expect in a multipolar system? Are we going to expect, you know, the U.S. to have to withdraw from a lot of its foreign bases abroad? Like, what is the so what? Why, 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 should, why should our listeners care about this so-called multipolarity? I mean, listen, I think multipolarity, uh, yeah, has some system level effects, right? Like you said, I think we're going to see and we have seen, you know, over the last few years, a lot more civil wars, coups, um, regional conflict breaking out. And I think that's going to be an increasing tendency and a signal of multipolarity. Um, but I think also it's really important when it comes to foreign policy decision making. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of negatives that come with, you know, if I'm Biden, I think the world's bipolar, which I believe Biden does think that, um, you know, the way that he goes about executing foreign policy is going to be very different than in a multipolar world. Um, you know, for example, in a bipolar system, you know, his primary goal in foreign policy and bilateral relations is going to be um, isolating China, you know, a very zero sum game thinking, uh, zero sum game mentality. Uh, and what that's going to do is one, raise the leverage of parties that are going to be balancing with the US against China, you know, they can ask for a lot more because they know that the US needs them on their side. Uh, you know, because again, there's only two people to choose from, two states. Um, and I think we've seen that very clearly with countries like Saudi Arabia um, and how much they're asking for when it came to Israel normalization before October 7th. Um, and I think you have a lot of issues with like free riding. You know, we've seen it, I think, again, very clearly with NATO expansion, EU expansion. There's a lot of countries that don't pull their fair weight, but, you know, they're part of this, uh, a part of these blocks, a part of these multilateral organizations, because again, this by bi this bipolar playbook of you know we're going to be in NATO to counteract you know at one point Eastern European aggression, now it's sort of this Chinese axis aggression. Um, but I think it's very clear that there's so we'll a see lot more free riding or less free riding. More free riding. So I think it's very uh, we're going to see in a bipolar system. There's more. In a bipolar system, there's more free by, more free riding. Yeah, in a bipolar system. Just right, so this more... is less free riding, is what you're saying. Right. In a multipolar I think, system. Right. So yeah, we can go to multipolar now. I think again, going back to like concrete policy effects. You know, one thing that having a multipolar mindset will do is allow you to um, engage in what's now being coined as minilateralism. Basically not having these big multilateral organizations where you're trying to create these big coalitions to compete with this other great, you know, power, superpower, um, i.e. China, but instead you're engaging in a bunch of much smaller, um, uh, much smaller arrangements with other countries where it's much more based on actual interest and needs as opposed to just, uh, yeah, being anti-China. Um, and ultimately, I think that'll benefit the U.S. and it'll also benefit, um, you know, just other countries in the system more. So I think. Wouldn't you see more? I mean, yeah. just on one, wouldn't you see more of that? I mean, right, the Triple Entente that was formed under multipolarity, unless you argue that World War One is the result of the collapse of the balance of power and that somehow Europe was becoming bipolar. But if you accept that Europe was multipolar during that, I mean, you actually saw a lot of formations of alliances which led to World War One. And so I'm wondering. So is your what argument is, that alliances lead to I'm, war? I'm asking for an, an explanation for why we're going to see what you're saying when there is historical, like... No, no, the, I'm saying... Because you're not... Like, what are you positing? I'm challenging one of the claims that you make. 
And what was my claim? That we'll see less of like massive things like NATO and we'll see more bilateral things. I'm not, I didn't say that at all. I'm saying I think that's what a multipolar world opens the door to. I think that's what we should be pursuing. So if it um, opens the door to it in a way that it then means that it is more likely than in a bipolar system. I'm saying right now, if you observe what's happened over the last, call it 20 years, um, call it 15 years, honestly, since China's been like a real threat, uh, it's been very clear that there's been um, a lot of coalition building in the West, whether it's in the Indo-Pacific or, you know, to the west of China, um, trying to consolidate power or consolidate influence um, to combat Chinese, what the U.S. would call expansionism in the region. I'm saying, aren't you just, in, aren't you just, sorry, go ahead. No, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and I'm saying that a lot of those allies that have come about um, in that effort to sort of stymie Chinese expansionism, those deals have been very transactional. They're not necessarily, I don't think, very, um, you know, strong, durable relationships. I think that in a multipolar world, it opens the door for you to have um, bilateral relations and trilateral relations that are based on actual genuine interest as opposed to uh, balancing. Think so you, I'll weigh in. See, all right, go ahead. No, actually, no, go ahead, Ezra. Yeah, but you mean, raise like, your hand. You don't get it. I mean, even in the last, like, you know, I mean, in the last week, what we've seen is a, what, a historic, or maybe two weeks ago, a historic deal where we see Korea and Japan, historic enemies coming together to, with the United States to balance against China. So, like, if you bring up the Indo-Pacific, I think that's, like, the best example of what we're seeing in terms of bipolarity. I mean, Andrew, I think you spoke a lot, and a lot of what you were describing was us being in a bipolar system, right, is what it sounded like. And then what you were saying was, in a new multipolar system, we wouldn't have, we could think outside the box, or we would have a multipolar perspective. But what it seemed like you were doing was you were describing the reality of bipolarity, and then advocating a policy of multipolarity. So I think I this think brings you up a couple- something then. Just quick, I think you missed something then because I, what I'm saying is that but like everything that I just stated are actions that Biden has taken, which are, what I'm saying are um, examples of him using a bipolar playbook. What I'm saying is that in reality those things are not working out. In reality, instead of balancing powers against China, you're just isolating yourself. Like we live in a multipolar world, and trying to put that bipolar playbook on it is is. Um, so I, I think it's this brings resonated. up a, it brings up an important question: is is polarity to a certain extent a choice, right? Like, is this a can the U.S. choose to like take go ahead with you know a bipolar policy, right? Like, you know, can the U.S. Well, dedicate states huge are free to-, to do whatever they want? The the argument is just that states that don't follow the right policy are more likely to not survive, and so in the self help system, in expectation, you'd expect states to do something. Ben. Yeah, I think this is all crypto NFT pseudoscience bullshit. Uh, to be frank with you, when we're in a bipolar and a multipolar system, the other t- team, so if they're a bipolar system, China and the United States, the other team gets a say, right? If you look at the Suez crisis, if you look at uh, all the other Israel-Palestine incidents, the USSR cl- took a clear side, and so uh, they also had an active role in Israel and Palestine in the four wars that were fought there, right? They actively had a role. Even in Vietnam, they actively had a role. Now when you look at Ukraine, China's role is they're administering, they're giving stuff to Russia, but they have to do it under the guise 
Uh, they're not even giving active combat stuff because they're terrified of U.S. sanctions. I mean, G going as far to send several messages, uh, several messages through back channels that they're not actively giving military equipment. If the other, if the other so-called pole is terrified of the United States, the United States is the is the singular pole. Also, during this entire Israel-Palestine thing, everyone looks to the United States. No one's bothered to give China. No one's bothered to ask what their opinion on it. China hasn't or even gotten Ursa. involved in it. Right. Or yeah, or Russia. It's all been they, they call him Genocide Joe yeah. or they are criticizing him for inaction or for bear hugging Israel. No one's bothered to pick up the phone and criticize G because they're not China is not a legitimate poll. It's not to the United States power yet. Same with Russia. And Russia will never be to the United States power. It will never get back to the heyday of what it was. So, yes, so Ben, so Ben, you're unipolar, Ben. We have multipolar, Andrew, and me and Clay are somewhere between bipolarity and um, and what? I don't think you yeah, guys bipolarity have views, and I mean, no, no. I think right. Like, I, I think like the best you know description of like what the international system looks like was laid out by like Woolworth and Walt in America Abroad. Came out 2016, 2017, and basically, there's one superpower in the system. There's the United States. There's an emerging superpower in China. And then you have a series of other great powers who at best are regional hegemons, but really in no way are comparable to the superpower or the emerging superpower. So that's maybe France, maybe that? Germany. It's definitely Russia. It's definitely Japan. Uh, uh, maybe India, right? Maybe um, Turkey. How do you say it? You I mean, mean China China has one military base abroad. doesn't even have an airstrip on it, right? Like the United States, in terms of power projection, in terms of the ability to to use its military to influence geopolitics abroad, is basically sole in terms of its capacity um, the, in, in the way that China can't. Has it worked? Uh, you're like, not, not, now you're asking for studies. a counterfactual in, in, ter in terms of history. You're, you're basically... I'm saying, look at the last 20 years. Has and? American projection of power worked? Yeah. Like, we what's have the counterfactual? ally in Iraq, yeah. Yeah, when's the last massive 9-11 terrorist attack that's happened on the United States soil? Is that the bar we're using? Is no 9-11, so everything's working? How, also, how much more loose nuclear fissile material from the Soviet Union, right? Like, there's... Oh, you guys are also talking at the same time. Yeah, sorry. Ben, no, it's all good. Uh, Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, yes. All right. I mean, if, if the bar is, can we state build in Afghanistan? Um, that's like, I mean, that no one's <laughs> ever done that, right? Like, like I don't think just because you, you just because you can't I mean, nobody's build ever a state build. The countries have that was the whole product of no, colonialism. in Afghanistan. No, Af in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. Like oh, I, you're talking about I, Afghanistan specifically. Yes. Yeah, I, that's why I said state it. building though. Kind of us. It's complicated. Depends if you're the British or the French. But the point is, um, like, <laughs> that's so true. I mean, like, let, let's be real though. Like, when you say like a multipolar world, like, what are the important decisions which aren't pretty much being ma being made by the United States, right? And, like, you bring up BRICS. Like, what have they? What have they? Con what big decision have they done? You know, what's being decided by BRICS? Absolutely nothing. Like. I don't know. I just don't see it. Should the U.S. be engaging with China because the world's multipolar? I mean, like in 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 a certain sense, the U.S. should be engaged. If with the Russia, world, sure. if the world is multipolar, but China is trying to become extraordinarily dominant in a regional hegemon, it's actually the interest of who all the other that? great powers to contain it. So, like, in terms that? of policy That's prescription, your characterization. No, no, no. no. So, no, so I'm asking for. You're saying that the U.S. 
is doing something yeah. wrong since operating a bipolar mindset instead of a multipolar mindset. What Ezra yeah, asked, and I will well. re and I will re ask, is what should the U.S. be doing differently in a specific case? And what was the relevance of BRICS? Ezra, like should the thing. U.S. should the U.S. be countering BRICS? I mean, like and what's why? the G seven then? No, I don't think the U.S. should be countering BRICS. I mean, like, what's we we can we can come back to BRICS later, but focus on what should I think that's a good question. What should the U.S. How should U.S. policy change to take into account that we live in a multipolar world? In like one specific that, concrete case. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've given a ton of concrete examples actually, um, at least for the bipolar case. I haven't heard anything from any of you guys, um, but I think one concrete example of U.S. foreign policy in a multipolar world is going to be not fighting with Russia, leaving Ukraine. Very clear and easy example of what you should be doing in a multipolar world. But we're using a bipolar playbook and we've been there for two years now. Um, and we'll probably still be there, you know, for the foreseeable future. But I if the world's really... multipolar, right? Yes. Which means that, that means the US is relative, which, which means that, which China. means, excuse me, which means that the US's relative military powers is its weakest that it's ever been. Wouldn't You're it correct. therefore be in the United States interest to deplete a stockpile, a Soviet bipolar stockpile that was produced that they can never reproduce in the future to make it a weaker great power in the system which allows the U.S. to have a larger relative advantage and that the relative power distribution in the entire system in this multipolar world is actually going to be more advantageous by depleting all of the Soviet stocks that Russia when, has no hope of ever being able to reproduce because they're not the Soviet Union, they're just Russia. I think it's clear that you're a structural realist, but you're make, you're putting assumptions on the situation which are not there. Um, you know, do, do you think Russia can rebuild a, the Soviet stockpile? I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about your whole scenario that you just built up in general is a very structural realist uh, argument about you know how the system will force them to have no choice based on the distribution of power to behave a certain way for their own survival. Like I don't necessarily subscribe to those same beliefs. I'm more of a classical realist, and so. I'm probably a neoclassical realist, but, you know, I would believe that, you know, the people that are in charge, the Bidens, the Putins, um, there's a calculus there that would make that, you know, irrelevant. I think going like, back to I don't think bricks, that's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Ben. I think going back to bricks, it is a profoundly unserious endeavor and an unserious group. I mean, if you even go to their website, they, they don't even have a functioning mobile website. It is 2023. <laughs> Dead serious. Pull pull it up. Type in Bricks on your phone, Bricks website on your phone right now, and you will find out they do not have a functioning mobile website. It is not formatted correctly. In is the it Bricks.com? It's uh, just type in Bricks website on Google. You pull it up. It's like infobricks.org. That oh, no, is Bricks, the official website. Bricks is some Italian. Uh, Info, infobricks.org. Yeah. That is the mm -hmm. official website. It is, is it, not. Doesn't even that also say something? They're, they weren't even able to get just Bricks.com. They weren't able to pay the extra. Oh right, they weren't even able to get .com. <laughs> look, it's, look, it's not even formatted for mobile. It is 2023. This is a profoundly unserious organization. Okay, secondly, <laughs> okay, secondly, it is like they don't actually ever get anything done. The whole thing, look at that. I'm glad this is being recorded. You guys look so silly. This is insane. We'll see about that. And secondly, I'll add with bricks, they don't actually get anything done. They came to the thing, they said, let's decouple from the dollar. And India blocked it. Brazil blocked it. China not wasn't too fond of it. Didn't want any immediate promises. 
Russia needs BRICS more than anyone because they went ahead and made the worst foreign policy decision since the Iraq War, right? So it is, it it is a profoundly unserious. And now they're expanding it, and Twitter wants me to believe it's some kind of threat. Argentina is thinking about converting their actual currency to the U.S. dollar, and I'm supposed to believe that their admission in the BRICS is some devastating thing. This is insane. This is this Fuck is the straw man argument. Nobody said that Argentina was the death knell of. No, I'm like, not. I mean, you did bring up Argentina. You're admitting, you're admitting a member into anti-U.S. alliance, and they're about to change over to the U.S. dollar as their legal currency. That's Great. nuts. You guys are getting. It's only currency. a stopgap until the BRICS currency comes along, Ben. Right, the BRICS currency comes along, yeah, and it's used by what Russia? I, I, it's insane. I mean, one of the members actively is trying to pursue an arrest warrant for the other member's president. Tr- Putin couldn't even visit South Africa without potentially being arrested. I mean, this is a profoundly unserious alliance, and I'm sick of being told I need to take it seriously. I then single-handedly. This is the last time I'm going to say this on camera. You really do. But continue. why? Because of what? Because they're going to do what? Yeah, because they do what? I guess my main confusion comes from the fact that here you have an organization. No one cared about the Nine-Eleven movement, and that had what seventy-seven countries more than that. Focus on today, please. I know that you love to read books, but we need we need you here, okay? China, Russia, and India. (laughs) China, Russia, and India are in the same multilateral organization. Okay. They are actively... And the U.S. and USSR are both in the United Nations. Trying to... <laughs> this is, ben, we are at uh, such Ezra, a different scale today than we were back then. Like, I, that, that's where I think the confusion is coming from. Like, again, you're in a, play, a bipolar head as well. Wait, like, Andrew, Andrew, what are, to... Andrew, Russia, Brazil, they're all meeting together. What are they doing? I missed that part. No, all I'm saying is that here you have three countries that ostensibly should right have uh reasons to not like each other for geographic reasons maybe political reasons as well um but they're actually working together coming up with policy admitting new members wanting to expand the un security council like actually putting together policy proposals that was the whole critique of BRICS up until recently was that they couldn't do that and now they're doing that i just think people are ignoring like very concrete real things that are happening with the organization well the proposal is not concrete what policy have they actually done and implemented together but that's you keep moving the like the goalpost like no andrew what's what's the biggest accomplishment of bricks to date probably the new development bank how much money is that distributed do you know i don't have that number I'm sure. And how much of that money came from China alone? Well, let's also talk about why the NDB even had to be created. Uh huh. Okay, why? The US run IMF wasn't going to be one giving loans to these countries because they need them to basically adhere to US standards of uh, governance to get the money. Um, But also, BRICS countries tried to lobby the IMF and the World Bank a number of times to put in reforms. That didn't work because, again, these are U.S. Western-led organizations that didn't want to hear it. So, like, there's, yeah, I get that the NDB hasn't been incredibly successful. They're getting new members. When Saudi comes in, I'm sure it'll be a little bit better. But there's a reason why it had to be created. Like, people don't know the full story. Like, <laughs> you know, it's. But why? Why don't countries get World Bank and IMF loans? Because they don't have their do. right, certain certain policies put in. But are those policies negative? Do they hamper a country's ability to pay off their debts? 
So now you're telling countries like, oh, it's like this is free. If you want to get foreign okay. financing, you have to have an economy where you'll actually have confidence for investors to get their money back. Yeah. yeah why should U.S. Anymore. taxpayers? Why should U.S. taxpayers contribute to a system that helps oppressors and authoritarians? Right. Or the just United that States give loans right. that will never and get I'm repaid. You say that about our own prison you know, system and police system. Like, what are you talking about? Like. Uh, I mean, I don't but it's a bar at all is like we, we can't use like an that's the problem with the whole Israel. Th we can't use like an ethical argument here to try and say this is why like, that you guys are going to look even sillier if you try. And but do that's that. why. The, but that's why the United States and the IMF have rules on their contributions and why you have to meet certain policies is because. Well, and just so the money actually right. goes towards economically productive things so that the mm -hmm. loans can be repaid. Yeah, I'm not buying into Ben. You guys Ben's are bought into it that's great the point is that there's a lot of countries who are not bought into it who aren't yes because they run their countries terribly and they never repay loans and they just default on them clay that's not every single country taking loans from the ndb is a terrible country like, this is again the problem like that's the whole weaponization of the dollar thing that's well but we're talking about money given out from the ndb how much money has been given out like how much money has been giving out of the ndb versus the imf and world bank i don't know i thought it's the i think the uh the the ND, NDB has only taken in, it looks like 40, uh, 47 billion, maybe? And how much is of it is it, and how much have actually been distributed? That's how much is taken in. How much is they've given out? I have no idea. Oh, no, these actually, that's, I think it's only 40, not even 47 billion. I think it's like 20 billion, it seems. I don't know. Since, in, since inception. No, wait, wait, wait. There's a total of $8 billion in NDB. I, and that is in total. That's not even. That's the actual number. That's not even. I don't know how much has been administered, but only eight billion. It, um, and is all that money from 30, China? Yeah, thirty-two billion has been okay. approved, which is like nothing for being real. Yeah. How much is the IMF or World Bank given out in the same time period? Does anyone know? What's the relevance? Like this, it's such more. a silly conversation. Do we even realize, like, one, how long it took to get the World Bank up and running, and two, the fact that it didn't have any competitors actively trying to, you know, ruin it? And now, like the NDB, like what was the Soviet Union within the current systems? It hasn't worked. Started so off as the IRDB, right? The Soviet I Union mean, its own plan to rebuild Europe. Not to be a not to be a demagogue, but I do think that the NDB's mission of just giving money to anyone who wants it. I think really does sell itself short, and I do it's think the U.S. system of putting. All. Say it again, Andrew. All, all that's going on, and this is why I think there's such a. People sound so silly sometimes. All that's happening is just there's an alternative being provided to countries who don't want to operate under one system, which is ruled by the U.S. dollar, which you know within the last couple decades has been weaponized and used to punish countries that don't fall in line with what the U.S. deems is appropriate. Um, I think that's it. It's very simple. I would, I would I actually it, argue the weaponization of the dollar is very good because the alternative is the United States going the European route and bombing other countries for not following what they do, as hegemons usually do. So I think the weaponization of the dollar is actually good for world peace, if we're being real. Flip it, because in my opinion... Uh, a lot of those sanctions. Have Ezra, like... have you found any numbers in terms of the World Bank and IMF numbers? I'm just curious. Oh, I, I wasn't looking at that. I can. Oh, it, it looked like you were looking it up. Because it's just no. like Andrew. It's just like if Iran has all these sanctions, North Korea has all these sanctions. If you don't have sanctions on, the alternative is force, right? Because when you're the hegemon, 
you know, the whole reason the United States isn't going around the world waging these wars like European powers and were. we literally had something called the JCPOA. Like, this is why I'm getting frustrated. Because the All right, what about it? Yeah, what's the point? It's diplomacy, which we did, and then we got rid of it. It's very simple. It's very simple. And then Trump fucked like, it up. Yeah. Iran's been what 30 days it? away from a nuke since, like, the 90s. <laughs> they're always... They're Go back closer. and watch past presidential right. debates. No, okay. So your argument is that the JCPOA was, was good and effective, correct? No. Nope. And therefore, what does that relate to multipolarity? What are you talking... What is your point? I think your you just mentioned the JCPOA. I'm just curious why you meant, like, what's, where are we headed? Clay, can you please listen quick? Ben said that the only alternative to sanctions was force. I said there's literally something called the JCPOA, which is an alternative to sanctions that was not force. So then, the, was, so then your argument is that there, the but was it effective? Iran hasn't innovated since 1990, and that's Hold not on. true. The JCPOA is a result of sanctions because in or they signed the JCPOA to get sanctions relieved. Okay, so they got sanctions relief in exchange for the JCPOA. Yes. So that is it is a result of the weaponization of the U.S. dollar. Ben does have a point here. Norway doesn't have them. Weaponize the U.S. dollar to get diplomacy. It is sanctions are an aspect of diplomacy. I mean, Andrew, Andrew, I don't I'm not a, like a big bad neocon guy, but like the JCPOA is, is very much an example of sanctions successful being being used to achieve like diplomacy. Right. How can it's you a, argue against that? Sanctions right now. And what has it done besides push Iran closer to a nuclear weapon? Exactly. Like sanctions don't. <laughs> What has it done to North Korea with their nuclear weapons? What has it done to Russia's ability to sell? I'm, I'm not overall pro sanctions, but you can look at the fact that the JCPOA was definitely a product of sanctions, right? You think the JCPOA was a product of sanctions? I'm saying it's not sanctions. That should I don't know why this is so hard. But how did it's we get to the JCPOA? Well, that's not what I'm saying. But you, all, you, no, but you're just saying we can just start off with the JCPOA without what led to the JCPOA. It's like we can have a, a baby no, without not, having like a sperm and an egg. It's like, huh? I'm not, okay, but we're not. I'm not saying that sanctions were necessary. I'm saying that they were the result, but I think we can get there other ways. How? I think that you need to sanction countries into the ground just to get them to accept the deal. Okay, so it is 2000, and I'm going to give you a 12-year term, right? You're going to have the entire Bush and Obama first presidency. How do you get the JCPOA while having Iran having zero sanctions on it and being able to operate freely? I feel like you're missing a lot of the points tonight, Clay. That's not what I'm saying. We can. You talk literally just that. said that that you could get there without sanctions. No, today we can get to the point of diplomacy without sanctions. Let, let me. Let all by pointing to an example of how we got to diplomacy by using sanctions. What all I said. Was you that said that we. You use the JCPOA as evidence of using diplomacy and not sanctions. The right. argument that's been countered to that is that the JCPOA was a result of sanctions. But and so then, therefore... Ezra, you're making some faces. How, how, how are they I don't know what Andrew is saying. Okay. Why? I don't know why this is so hard to understand. All I'm saying is that I don't think that sanctions have been very effective. By point, but, but you did that by pointing to an example of the JCPOA, which was a deal reached as a result of sanctions. I also just pointed to today, right now, what's happening with sanctions. 
what do you top- mean to with sanctions in general sanctions on iran? iran russia north korea venezuela like we can go on well you and- just named countries that are under sanctions but not I mean, wait, I I actually agree that I'm actually very, Andrew, Andrew, calm down, Andrew, calm down for a second. Andrew should have gotten a drink tonight. He's the one who needs it. Um, Like, I think you, it's not making any points. Wait, well, all right, Andrew, to be fair, you did literally bring up an example saying sanctions don't work and then brought up one of the few examples over the past two decades when they were specifically successful. We're missing history here. That's not what happened, but continue. I mean, like I like I've literally written an article when when the U.S. started sanctioning Russia. I wrote an article saying this is really bad and like we're gonna like we're not like hey, that's common I, sense. Like sanctions should be targeted and very specific and like just trying to sanction countries that we don't agree with into having bad economies. It just ends up like immiserating not and impoverishing people. Not for uh, more reasons. Andrew, calm down a little. Let's take a chill pill. I'm not, I'm not excited. I'm agreeing. I know, I know. But, but like, I think you can also, like, like, in the context of, like, polarity, like, like, again, like, the fact that the U.S. is able to, like, exercise this financial power, and maybe it's not always successful, but to the extent that it is, we get the JCPOA, we can, you know, create massive carrots and sticks for countries. Like, isn't that somewhat an example of, like, like, BRICS, if you look at, we have BRICS out there, um, and, like, Russia has you know, had a, you know, fair, like, there's still billions of dollars of their assets frozen. Like, there's no BRICS currency. Like, do you get the directionally where we're coming from? Not at all. And I also don't understand what the focus of a BRICS currency is. Like, that's, I think, a silly thing to focus on. Or de-dollars, let's just say de-dollarization. Like, do we see... to focus on. I don't think that's anybody's goal in BRICS. I think, um, if anything, I just want to uh, provide an alternative to countries but not necessarily take over the dollar as the main reserve currency. That's a lot of Western propaganda pushing it onto BRICS. They haven't said that. I think a bit of a problem in this conversation is that, you know, we're, you're talking about multipolarity, I think, from like a bit of like, as if it's like, like you're arguing against some like U.S. hegemony. Like we're not all arguing that U.S. hegemony is like the be all end all and is always good. And I think that's what you're hearing us say. No, not at all. <laughs> What? Why do you think that I hear that? Because all I've nope. said is polarity is the distribution of power, right? Majority of power amongst more than two states, and that's where I think we are right now. Very simple. And but I think your advo- your advocacy of BRICS as not as both being relevant and as good, I'd say, is a good example. I don't think it's necessarily good. I'm not going to put any moral judgment on it. I think that it's very foolish to neglect it because, again, you have what are they doing? China, Russia, and Brazil that are four very powerful countries that are working together that seem to be aligned. To do. Wait, working together to do. You got the S there. What about the S? Okay, Ben, come on. Everyone knows they don't matter. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, sorry. And to do exactly what we're like what the U.S. is so scared about, right? Providing an alternative to the U.S. rules-based order where you don't have to abide by U.S. rules to get money and funding, where you don't have to listen to the, you know, uh, you don't have to worry about getting sanctioned by other countries in your organization. That's a rule of BRICS. Like, it's to provide an alternative. That's what I've been saying. I think, again, that's pretty clear. Like, I but don't know. What- here's my question for you, though, is that, so we know that China does secretly like the rules-based international order. 
They just want to be the one in charge of it. They have no op- they have no objection to it like the other four do. I think do. that's made up. Other three do. What do you mean you think it's made up? They're they enjoy uh the protection of international free trade. Right? They they enjoy the idea of there being a United Nations. They like that. They don't ab- agree, reject it like Russia does. What I'm saying is made up is why do we put these things on Russia and China that they're these very ambitious expansionist powers that want to rule the world like that's that's right well, because they actually famously have two very cases of that exact thing where russia's currently invading ukraine and china is in a 75 year old war of taiwan over land like we're all guilty but well, hold on. The difference, though, is that right hold on. The difference is that the United States invaded Iraq under regime change, believing that incorrectly that Saddam Hussein had a nuclear weapon, and incorrectly believing that they could change it to a. Well, I guess they did change it to a friendly regime that is uh, democratic, even though the democracy does not work the way they want it to. Right? Russia's invading because it believes Ukraine belongs to it. We didn't invade Iraq because we believe that Iraq belonged to the United States. That's your opinion. What do you, what do you mean that's my opinion? That's a fact. That's why Russia me... invaded. That is not a fact. That, no, that is a fact. That's what Vladimir Putin has written several times. That Ukraine is not a real country. That Ukraine is just Russia. Yeah, he said, he said that now. It's Anyway, it's a little bit more complicated than that on that front. But I don't think that's... You just muted that's yourself you in an effort to unmute yourself. Yeah. I know. Andrew, who do, who do you think the winners of multi, a multipolar world are? Besides, you know, people who act in a multipolar way. You, you've laid that up. But like right now, is it Indonesia? Is it Turkey? Who, who are the winners of multipolarity? And do we see this manifesting already? Are you asking who the polls would be? No. Who benefits from a system of multipolarity? Not necessarily. The polls do. Uh, yes. Um and I think there are a number of Including countries that look at as potentially gaining influence, greater influence in an increasingly multipolar world. Um, we've named some of them on the pot already. Japan uh, would be one. Brazil, India, Turkey, Saudi Arabia. Um, I think these are all countries. So you look at like Brazil or Japan and say like what what has changed from the transition from unipolarity to multipolarity and how have they benefited? Yeah, I think China, or I think one Brazil um, has been able to not just necessarily be in lockstep with the United States. I mean, I think South, like South America, North America relations have been fractious for some time now. Um, but I think that Brazil hasn't necessarily had the freedom to negotiate deals elsewhere. Um, I think we've seen them doing a lot of work with China now um, and being able. If to you have- if you look at economic growth, it's not like China, Brazil's benefiting from this. It's like Brazil sells oh, a bunch of yet. soy. They sell a bunch of soy products, which are very low value chain to China, right? They're not like <laughs> Brazil. Brazil's economic growth has actually been really bad over the past twenty years. It was doing much better in the seventies and eighties and nineties, right? If you look at economic data, like how how has Brazil benefited from multipolarity? I like just don't see it. Well, this is a new phenomenon, so I don't think that you would see it necessarily in these numbers that soon. Um, so I don't think it's helpful to look there, but I mean, if you think like, I don't know, think about India, for example, India is still outside of the top four in terms of, uh, you know, GDP, um, you know, as a percentage of the global GDP and, you know, they're still pretty low in terms of GDP per capita as well, but we're not here questioning, you know, what India has to gain from a multipolar world. And that's very, well, in, Clay, just on India, India started, India started an era of economic growth 
after they got bailed out by the IMF in the early 1990s and went through an era of liberalization and economic reform aligned with IMF principles. And that is the beginning of Indian economic growth. That's fine, but I don't know if today if you sent a... Uh an envoy from the U.S. to India and said, you know, do you approve of this governmental system? Would you call us a democracy? I don't think we'd say yes. I think okay. a lot of is what I'm saying in like 25 years. Should we transition to uh, some trivia? Yes. Or think Clay, you... what? what? What were you going to ask me, Ezra? Do you have anything else to say? I think I think we I don't, I don't really know what we've been saying. Yeah, I mean, um, I look forward to to seeing what Bricks does so that we can. Wait, can it. we get official stances? Because I've been pretty clear about my stances. I've I already mean, said the one plus one plus n is the configuration of states in the system. No, and Ezra, what do you think? Y yeah, I, I'd say there's like one a, one b, and everyone else. I so think what that, do you call that? We've been using terms. I need you guys to use the terms. We've been using a similar lexicon. Well, Andrew, I'm sorry that we're not going to lock ourselves into like an academic term, which is obviously imperfect. But I think right. there's no... This is... It's a very binary thing. Like What you're describing is not unipolar, so we can write that off. Are you saying So then that, if it was binary, at what point... What was the day that the world switched from bipolarity to multipolarity? I'm just saying that there are boxes in terms of how you're thinking. No, 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 but if it's if it's binary, then there must have been a, a date when the switch happened. At all. That's not what that means. <laughs> I'm asking. You guys just said n plus one, but whatever. Wait, there, that what we're saying is there's elements of all three. Clearly, the U.S. is still the most dominant force, but it's not. It's there's also elements of bipolarity with China, and then there's also you know catch up growth and everyone else. So we're saying there's elements of all three. I think maybe what we're reacting to. I don't think that's is, how that works, but okay. Okay. I'll tell you my stance right now. <laughs> right now, it's unipolar, okay? Maybe one day it'll be bipolar, but it's never going to be any of this dumb multipolar cinema bullshit you just made me sit through, okay? So it's not that. However, I am ready for trivia, and I do have my big whiteboard here. I, I, like, my, I like my world order how I like my women. Crazy and bipolar. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Alrighty, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, on that note, we are switching over to the Long Telegram's first ever trivia segment. It's going to be a little bit lower production this week than future weeks because I've been busy moving, so I'm just going to be reading questions off of a whiteboard. We'll give everyone you know, a little while to think through uh, the questions, and uh, we'll keep score and figure out who knows geopolitics the best. Everyone has whiteboards, and so... Let's just hop right into this, Ben. I think you're not going to want to fill out your whiteboard facing everyone. Wait, should we put hands up while you're talking so we know nobody's Googling? I, I think we, I trust you guys. Look, Whatever. if you want to cheat on a <laughs> on a podcast <laughs> trivia game, that's your, you know, motivate. You know, you can do whatever you want. You know, I like accountability. I'm a forecaster. That's all. <laughs> all right, Ben. All right. You might want to have your whiteboard facing you. All right. It is facing First me. question. Obviously, I don't want to give a hint, but we're going to start off right where we left off, talking about bipolarity and multipolarity. Question number one, who was the primary architect of the containment policy during the Cold War? And for a bonus point, what was the name of the document that this policy was outlined in? Do we have a time? 
yes, but just l- l- let me know. No, don't show it. Everyone's going to show it at once, and we'll figure, and we'll give out points that way. So, come your horses. All right. Everyone done? Wait, I... Oh, fuck. I forgot this. All right. Oh, I'm ready. Ben, why don't you show off your work first? Kissinger, Dolls, War Crimes Baby. Oh, no, Andrew, that, uh, what do you have Kissinger, there? Kissinger, War Crimes Baby. It says, uh, Canon, the long telegram. Andrew, for two points. No oh. points for everyone else. Yes. George Kennan, at the end of the Cold War, wrote the infamous long telegram. It was it was a long telegram because by State Department memos, he used a lot, a lot of words, and it laid down the foundation for the containment policy and is what this podcast is named after so we can get SEO from uh, graduate students who have to read the document, um, basically, is how that happened. Um, all right. Next question. Which country is the origin of the non-aligned movement? Probably some dumb shit. What did Kendrick Kissinger say about Israel? Uh, not Israel. India that one time? Didn't he call him? Didn't he call the leader of India a pussy or something like that on the Nixon tape? Probably something terrible. Probably. I mean, yeah, dude. Call. Come on. I mean, you you guys know how you talk when no one's recording or you don't think anyone's recording. I mean, India probably was being a pussy at the time. <laughs> All right. Five <laughs> seconds. Now. All right, pencils These down. I have no clue. Which country is the origin of non-land movement? We got India. India. Andrew, what do you have? Germany. Germany. No, the answer is Yugoslavia. Oh fuck! Well, they're fake question. So no points Which, for anyone there. Damn, getting yeah, destroyed yeah. out here. How come? How come mine's mirrored, but Ezra's isn't? Uh, no, everything is fine on. That's that's a. A thing with Discord. So don't worry, Ben. Oh, Everyone okay. can read what you're saying correctly. All right. Next question. The term third world originally referred to countries that were not aligned with either NATO or the communist bloc. What is another term for these nations? Say that again. Like a synonym for third world? Yes. What? The first world was the West. The second world was the communist bloc. What is another term for the countries of the third world during the Cold War? Did you say it today? Yes. How much time do you have? Are we done? <laughs> you have five seconds left. Is it, isn't it just what we were talking about? Is that, yep. am I wrong? <laughs> Andrew, would you write? I can't read that. South. No, non-aligned, non-aligned. Yes, it was the last question that was supposed to be an easy one. It's all right. <laughs> Everyone else is on the board finally. Andrew, though, still leading by one point. Uh, all is right. that all we have? No, we, there's so many more questions. Oh, Next okay. question. Lo- <laughs> In what year was the World Trade Organization officially established? WTO. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ, dude. Uh, Five, four... Three, Ben. You know you're kind of showing your work. It's not like I don't think it wants to cheat on you, Ezra. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> okay, Ezra has a penis. He didn't know. Ben, 1967. Andrew, what do you have there? Your whiteboard's way too small. 71. No, it was 1995. Rough, 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 rough. Wait, so- what? Really? Yes. 
then why is it why genuine question why is it made such a big deal that clinton invited um there China was a pre there, there was a cold war pre precursor to it and also because oh, okay. there were anyway uh next question everyone's doing kind of rough here i know who was the first secretary general of the united nations oh fuck me huh? Uh, I have no idea. I got this one. Let's take a little really? shot in the dark here. Ah, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna make up a name that sounds right. <laughs> oh god. Of the of the United Nations, he said. Uh, yes, the first UN Secretary General. All right. Is that Ben? What do you got? Lord, Lord Stanley. Lord Stanley. No. Question mark from Andrew. <laughs> Is this a Emmett? Einstein? Einstein. Einstein. No, that is incorrect. Someone now is going to get uh, try give Lee. Nailed that. I right. can't even pronounce it. Why are you asking us? That doesn't being able to pronounce things is not the same it thing. Next question: Which country was the first to recognize the independence of the United States? Oh, easy, easy. Right. I my uh, my marker died. Hold on a second. No. Here, I'll just go last every time and I'll say it. No, you'll go first every oh. time. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, I'll go with, I'll go with uh, first country to recognize independence. Yes. Um, was, fuck, I don't know, France or Ireland. Okay. Morocco, that is the correct answer. Oh, Andrew, damn. Dude, what do you have? For me, I said Morocco. All right. Points, Damn, I'm really getting destroyed. Points, points. No ben points. loves America, and Andrew knows the uh, Moroccan. Uh, Moroccan. Why? Why was it Morocco? I have no idea why. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, that that wasn't part of the question I here. Think I've read love so to many pro Russia comments. Was it like the Barbary states hated the British or something? I, know, I don't know. That sounds, that sounds reasonable. Um, which country? What country is the newest member of the United Nations? And for a bonus point, what year do they join the United Nations? Can I go? Oh, they're no, still ready. Everyone. You said bonus, what year did they join? Yes. If you get the Andrew's year right, but you right didn't get the country right, you don't get points. Just to be clear, this is a real country? Like, actually recognize? Or is this something Well, out? they joined the United Nations. All right, can I go? Yeah. It's South Sudan in 2011. Two points for Ezra. Ben? Oh, what the fuck? In oh, 2012. One point for Ben. Andrew, what do you got? South Sudan, I said 2005, though. All right. One point. All right. Andrew at four points. Ben and Ezra tied at three in last place. Second place. Last place. Oh. Also known as second place. <laughs> What is the capital of the World Trade Organization? And what city is the capital of the World Trade Organization located? It can only be in one place, right? That is what the capital slash headquarters is. It's not Amazon. They don't have two headquarters. Or maybe yeah, they do, and you have to put down both countries. I'm ready. Andrew, you good? I really have no idea. Is Andrew is Andrew done? 
I don't know. It's yeah. taking a lot of time. You don't have to do any yeah. addition here. All right. I mean, I'll I'll go New York because I have no idea, but it's probably like Burn or Wrong. something. Wrong. Uh, ben. New York. Wrong. Andrew. I know it's in Europe. I said the Netherlands. It's in Geneva. Ge- You're the closest. I knew it was. You're the closest, <laughs> but you don't get any points for <laughs> being close. That was my guess. But... I was gonna go Switzerland, Belgium, or, or Netherlands. I knew it's a Chinese organization. You know, the Chinese founded it, which is why I thought that was so interesting that it's based in uh, Geneva. All right. Next question. We'll do one more headquarters question. What city is the homequarters to the headquarters? Ah, is home to the headquarters of Interpol. Where's the headquarters of Interpol? Country, city, city. Wait, country or city? All right, I'm ready to submit. That was quick. They don't call me Ben. Eyes in the sky. Andrew, good. Right? Yeah, oh. pens down. Ezra, I'm good. Uh, the Hague. Call me Whiskey. Wrong. Ben, wrong. Andrew. Is it Paris? Ooh, Andrew, the closest. It's in Lyon, Lyon. France. I got France. Oh my god, I'm so close. I really thought it was a Hague. Yeah. Well, was no, that's the uh, International Court of they must Criminal have moved Court or whatever. Because they must have moved. Should have done country. Okay. <laughs> Which two countries signed the Treaty of Peace and Friendship in 1956 to officially end a state of war? Which two countries signed the Treaty? Of peace and friendship in 1956 to officially end their state of war. No idea. The state of war existed since World War II. I'm ready to submit. All right, Ezra. <laughs> uh, wait. Why well, now? I have to think about that hint. Um, five, four, three, two. Wow. Germany and France. Wrong. Wrong. I said the Koreas. Also wrong. The answer is Japan and the Soviet Union. Oh. Japan and the Soviet That's Union did not end oh. war until 1956. That's what I thought. Okay. Who first, which historical figure first used the term Iron Curtain? Bonus point. Uh for what year it was said and an extra bonus point for the location it was said. So that is which historical figure first used the term Iron Curtain when was this said and where was it said? I will give a little bit of leeway in terms of where it was said, if you can just get me the state, that should oh, be good wait, enough. state. So it's in America. States or countries. You, how much time do we have? Well, that's what I thought, but I don't know. It's very weird. You've been. Do I have to go? Yes. Yes. Who said it? I don't know. Fuck it. Kennedy? No. What year do you think it was said? Well, like, so maybe later? Was it, like, Thatcher, maybe? I don't know. Also wrong. That's on a year as well. And where was it said? (laughs) What year, Margaret Thatcher? (laughs) I don't don't fucking know. No points for Ezra. Ben, what do you have? You have Eisenhower, 
Berlin Wall, 1952. Confidently written, all incorrect. Andrew? I said Churchill. Okay. Um, that is correct. Oh, fuck. That's was it, what I, year? I have, no where, I, I have no idea where, but when... Yeah, it was early. Fuck. Forty. I I actually originally 40, wrote that too. That was rough. Five, four, three. Forty-six. Correct. Damn. Andrew wow. doubling the points of his did. competitors mm-hmm. in terms of where it was said in Missouri, <laughs> at Westminster College. Wait, actually. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Missouri got Iron Curtain. That's so lame. What the fuck was he doing in Missouri in 1946? Exactly. Uh, he was just kicked out of office, so he was trying to rally America around the Cold War. He knew where to start. <laughs> in what year was the African Union established? Oh, boy. Uh... Dude. Oh. I mean, these are, right. these, these are, I mean, these are kind of. African Union. Yeah, I know one knows when the fucking African hey, Union was established. I mean, I feel like the the mula of multipolarity should be able to know that. It seems uh, pretty I, consequential <laughs> for multipolarity. This one's a guess. Can I can I give a guess? <laughs> yeah. Nineteen sixty-five. Wrong. Ben. Two thousand six. Closer, but also wrong. <laughs> Andrew. Oh, I said fifty-two. I was following. <laughs> the correct answer: two thousand and one. Oh, so it's really recent. That oh, is correct. Was there something sure. before it? Yeah, don't ask follow-up questions. Very look, yeah. look th- this is not like a class seminar, right? This is this is a <laughs> pop quiz, all right? <laughs> Next up, who proposed the domino theory related to the spread of communism? Oh, I'll geez. give you even a better hint. Which American proposed the domino Wait, theory when you say related that, to the spread of communism? When you say that, how loaded is that statement? What is define American? <laughs> Uh, an American by citizen or, by by birthright or earned citizenship. I'm not Just giving you all these details. Okay. Well, <laughs> he was just like, okay. <laughs> all right, Ezra, what do you have? I don't know, Dulles again, as I guessed him last time. Wrong, Ben. Yes. Kissinger, also wrong. Andrew, what do you oh. have? McCarthy? No, it was Dwight D. Eisenhower. Fuck. Oh, fuck that guy. All right. We'll get a few easier ones here. I don't even know. Right. I'm just going to do 20 questions. Many you guys are doing terrible. Okay. Yeah, let, let, I don't know. I mean, I have, I have I have a document of 50 questions what, written out. What are right. these fucking questions? These questions are like, hey, what date was the treaty signed Germany? Okay, no. Every no, answer should dates, be dates obviously. are generally <laughs> bonus points, all right? The term ping pong diplomacy refers to the thawing of relations between which two countries in the early 1970s? Ping-pong diplomacy. Between the two Can you say that with that accent again? Ping-pong diplomacy. Ping-pong. Uh, stop, I'm gonna... Ping-pong diplomacy. Which two countries? 1970s. Pencils down, everyone. Only country good at it. Only two countries good at it. Duh. Ezra? Ping pong diplomacy. China and in you said nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventies. First, and not have a second country. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. 
America? Correct. Oh, ben? Wait, that's what I had. Ben gets a point. Andrew, who did you have? I said China, Japan. China, Japan. Wrong. Wow. Do you think all Asians are good at ping pong? or? No, I just didn't think we were opened wow. up to China then, so I didn't know why we'd be having any diplomacy with them. All right, we're going to hop over to a little bit of a Peter Zion question. The Strait of Malacca is a key shipping lane for trade between which two oceans? Can you use it in a sentence? The Strait of Malacca is a key shipping lane for trade between these two countries, colon, redacted and redacted, between these two Wait, oceans, can you redacted. Spell it, though? Strait of Malacca, M-A-L-A-C-C-A. C-C-A? Okay, not a K. I'm ready. Ezra? Andrew? Uh, you guys ready? Wait. It's, it's Wait, don't in... say it before Andrew. Wait, yeah, yeah, Ezra, one sec. Unless you want to give him the leader points. I mean, I can just say it, and then you can don't have to say if it's right or wrong. He can just guess. Okay, you're good. Uh, oh, it's it's uh, Indian Pacific, right? Correct. Wait, you're not supposed to say anything. No, we're pencils down. You're done. So you have to have whatever's on your whiteboard. Okay, I said it was around Cyprus, so I was wrong. No, those are not oceans. Um, <laughs> Ben. Indian and Pacific. I think you might have spelled something wrong, but that's fine. I think I spelled Pacific. Andrew at five points. Ben and Ezra making a comeback. Five each. So we have six it's all to tied fives. Up? No, no, no. no. Oh. Sorry, Andrew has six points. We'll do right, one right. more question, and then we'll go to the final question where you'll have an opportunity Wait, to wager. Give, give, like, give us like five more. Okay, five more questions. I like that. Who was right, the first woman to point. serve as the U.S. Secretary of State? Easy. Oh, oh my god. I, oh my god. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's, um. Who was, no. I'm just wait till Aunt. I need to wait until the boys have their pencils down. One sec. I'm ready now. Uh, is it. There's Duh. like two. Uh, and do I want to give. And a bonus point. Who was the president appointed her? Oh, uh, wait. Do you know? I, I do. I'm no, ready. Yeah, I'm ready now. Andrew, are you done? Wait, I, I need a second to think about precedent. Okay. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you guys five more seconds. Five. Four. Wait, three. Hold on. Oh, wait. Hold on. Two. One. Pencils down, Andrew. Ezra. All right. Wait. Um, Who was the first I'm, woman U.S. Secretary wait, of State? Did, it's not a trick question. Is that like... I, I think it's Madeline Albright, but there's also that Greek woman. Who's that Greek woman? Like Geraldine Ferraro? Um, is Geraldine? Fer- no, wait, no, no. Who are, you, who are you submitting as your answer? I'm su- I'm submitting Madeline Albright. That is correct. And which president right, was, appointed that, Madeline Clinton. Albright? That, that's Clinton, right? Two points. I also had Bill correct. Madison wait. Albright is incorrect. Who- what the fuck Madeline Albright. It's Madeline oh, Albright. It's Wait, le- who's Gerald? Who, who's Geraldine Ferraro? She That's was definitely the, uh, Attorney General for Clinton. Oh, Andrew, what do you have? Show the whiteboard. Maddie Albright. I went for the oh, short. Oh wait, that's not correct either. But that's did shorthand. you write down the president on Maddie. on your sheet? You I didn't, didn't write. I, so you don't get points I for that. I thought it was gonna be a plus like the other ones have been. You just say them after like the year. Well, you no, we can't. You, you have to. You have to write it down when, because yeah, otherwise, you can just know. say that yeah. you got it right. 
Um, no, right, Ezra has. Oh yeah, We're sevens all, all around. Four more questions until we get to Final Jeopardy. Sorry. Who was the longest-serving Secretary General of the United Nations? Dude. And I will give a bonus point to whoever gets the closest in number of years. You don't have to get it right. You just have to be the closest. Oh, wait, we have to guess how many years, not the guy. No, no, no. You, you have to guess the person, and then a bonus point for whoever gets closest on the number of years. You don't have to get it correct. Do we still get just the bonus point if no. we get the number uh... of years and not the... Like, do we have to get the first... Like, is it conditional on the first one? I haven't made a judgment on that. It depends. Depends on the answers? Uh, okay. Um, I mean, it depends how wrong you get the person. You know, if it's... Just, you just guess the number clearly. I, then... How many UN Secretary Generals <laughs> can you name? That that Ethiopian dude. I don't know. I only have one yeah. Gutierrez. It's the only one I know. They're very inconsequential. Their main job is to hate on Israel and to sit in meetings. So... All right. I all right, Clay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that one Ethiopian dude, and I'm gonna go nine years. Okay. I'm guessing Ten? fifteen years. And you're not guessing a name. I'm not. I know. I don't know any name. Andrew. I said Kofi Annan, but I don't know how many years. I said like somewhere around ten, maybe, because that sounds long. So it's uh, Ban Ki Moon, South Africa, uh, South Korean. Ten known. years is the correct answer. You're the only one that's actually able to name a UN Secretary General, even though one of these Wait. questions gave you. No, you just said the Ethiopian guy. That does not. That's not, that's not a name. I knew he was. There is an Ethiopian Secretary General. Congratulations. That's <laughs> Andrew's going to get a point on that one. He's going to keep why? his lead now because he got he got the like, number of years correct. All right, that favoritism. Yeah, that's all right. Just, I had I had Paris, but not Lyon, and I didn't get it. Okay, so there's no favorite. Three more questions until cities. Final Jeopardy. <laughs> what is the name of the strategic strait between the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman? All right, we all got it. Next question. Ezra. Yeah. That's point we all got. Wait, wait, ben? I wasn't ready yet. I Ooh, didn't write an answer down. Then you don't get any points, <laughs> Andrew. Right, what do you give, it, give it to Ben. Or move. I knew okay, answer. okay, okay. We're just going to scrap that question. What is the term used to describe a situation where one's nation rise in power is perceived as a threat to the existing powers? Why are you thumbs upping just now? And a bonus point if you can tell me the scholar who termed it. This one's... And wait, a bonus point if you can pronounce it. <laughs> I think the bonus point should be if I can fucking spell it. Yeah. Uh, just... I don't know if I'm going to require spelling on this one. Maybe I will. No, because Ezra, right, like... Ezra's not spelling. It just can when you, you said Madison, Albright, that you just made wait, it wrong. But I have to say it with my speech impediment. My lisp is pretty hard to say this one. Are we all? Are we? Are we ready? Wait, yeah. you have a lisp? I thought you were just. I thought it was your mic. To be honest with you. No, no, I have a lisp. Um, it's, um, it's coming from the great alum of Davidson College, Graham Allison's Thucydides Trap. That is correct. You need a bigger whiteboard for next week. I can't read that, Andrew. I know. I'm just going to write bigger. I'm just going to write bigger. But, yes, but you didn't get who it was, Ben, did you? I got Thucydides Trap. Wait, that's <laughs> you 
I know. Oh, wait, I don't think you should get any points for that. <laughs> yeah, like, pronounce very, that. Very Hold on. The... Graham Allison, all he did is publicize Thucydides' words. Thucydides wait, is the one who observed that wait, where Where is he? In Rome or Never mind. For war. Barca. And also, Graham Allison. That, doesn't that what? reveal a lot about Ben? And that's how he just said it is about Thucydides' trap. <laughs> T H E T I don't think I don't think Ben should get a point for that. T H E T whatever that is. <laughs> okay, I've done a video on this motherfucker before. All right. Well, I you didn't write down Graham Allison, did you? Okay, Show so me. Did what you write it down? Fuck is that, dude? The person who coined the term. All right. <laughs> I don't give a shit. So now we have <laughs> now we have our first Andrew with ten, Ezra with nine, Ben with eight. That's some bullshit. Also, I'd like to know, speaking of things that don't matter, when I was in college, there was this guy who was really in the wall ball, so I nicknamed him Wallball Mike, and he became super Aww. popular around campus as Wallball Mike. And then, next time I saw the guy, he acted like he had never seen me. I made you famous, bitch. Okay? So, <laughs> I gave you that name. I, I made you Wallball Mike, and now you okay. want to forget. Okay, well, let's, let's move on from Wallball. Yes. All right, penultimate question before the final question, so it's not the penultimate question. The Association of Southeast Asian Countries was founded by how many countries? How many founding Wait. members of ASEAN were there? Um. All right, give me a second. I'm not going to do a bonus point for what year it was founded. I don't know why, but I just decided I'm not I definitely do it. Oh, so I'm glad. Okay, I'm offering a bonus I... point now. <laughs> <laughs> guessing for the other one too i'm ready feels right all right ezra what's the number for founding i'll go nine wrong yes or no oh i guess you can say wrong six wrong i said five the answer is five but you wrote down seven so no points no on the board damn Oh but more joint, how many how many are in it now? More. Probably like okay. <laughs> History will remember this from so many points I almost had. <laughs> I mean I was robbed of the city's traps, whatever. But you got that one, you just didn't get the extra one. All right. I didn't get a point away. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Which question do I want? To... Okay, this is interesting. Which country has the most UNESCO World Heritage Sites? That stands question. for United yeah. Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization World Ooh. Heritage Sites. And I'll give a bonus point if you can tell me how many they have. Hmm, well, let me let me think, think, think. Which country has the most UNESCO World Heritage Sites? A bonus point for whoever include, gets the closest. Not, does this and, include natural or no? Yes, it does include natural. Um, I'm surprised some dumb shit like And then I have to pick which question I want the final one to be. No, this isn't the final. No, I'm well, so final is where you get to wager points. Oh, interesting. I'm ready. And so we're going to have you, Ezra, you have to declare your wager. 
I don't know how we're gonna do I'm this. I'm ready. Do you have a sheet of paper you can write down your wager? Um hold on. Or can can I, you just write it down on your phone? Let's, let's do this question first. Okay. Um well, give me a second. I'm getting audio interference, which is gonna ruin the recording. Okay. Uh, I'm like between. Which like country France. has the most UNESCO World Heritage sites, like, and what number? It's like France, China, or Italy. Oh, I gotta guess a number. Uh, yes, it's Bones Forever. It's the closest to the number of UNESCO sites. You can't give three answers, Ezra. I need one, and I need it now. Let's go China for 60. Wrong on the first question. Italy with 45. Italy is correct. Andrew, fuck, we have... Fuck, fuck, fuck. I said Italy, but 40 plus. I didn't say how many. 40 plus is not a number. So you I got a point. Answer. I think drew fucking Mario on here. That's how confident I was. The correct answer UNESCO was, though, 59 UNESCO sites. Ezra did guess 60. Wait, it was how many? There were 59. 59? Jesus. So, Ezra, I guess I'll give you a point for that. You did get closest, even though you didn't know what you are talking about. Who is... Wait. Let me look at this. In terms of points, we have Andrew at 11, Ben at 9, Ezra at 10. China was second, for the record. The question was not which country has the second number amount of UNESCO. All right. Well, fuck you. I'm going to give you guys a question. I I, I will let you have a choice. Do you want your final question to be based on IR literature or geography? Geography. Ezra, do you have a preference? What What will Andrew choose? I know. I feel like that, <laughs> that kind of matters. Um, uh, I'll do geography. I don't care. I feel like I just want to be... Uh, well, we all get the same question, right? Yes. You all I'll, we, well, fine. I'll find you. I'm outvoted yeah. anyways. We'll do geography. But all I wouldn't right. consider it IR literature. On your whiteboard right now, I need you all to wager a number of points. I'll try and get this. Right. I need you to write that down now. I should have thought about how do you think about opt... Uh, can you, is this hint? Is that a, is this question being about equally as hard as your previous questions? Yeah, like is this yeah, like a yes. hard medium? Or... I I did not pre-select a final question that was noticeably harder. Although I am picking a question I think is a little bit challenging. I need you all to write down a number of points that you want to wager. Andrew, you have eleven points. Like, ben, you have nine. Ezra, you have ten. You can wager up to your maximum. If you get it wrong, you lose your all the points you wagered. I'm ready. Give me the question. Wait, hold on one second. I have to think about how many I want to wager. How much for wagering? No. Just don't change. Hold it. on. How many views does this podcast get? Across everything, a couple hundred, maybe like low thousand. I think one of them actually did relatively decent. Wait, how many points do I have to wager? You can wager however little you want, but you can only wager up to your maximum points. How many? 10 points. You can't wager more than 10. All right, everyone's made their wager? Mm hmm. Indeed. 
Name the ris- river basin that is shared by the largest number of countries. Which river basin name is shared? Yes, can, what is the name of the river basin? I need the name of the river basin, Wait. or can I name the river? Wait, is, is, is the river basin sharing the most number, or is it the total river? Like, is the it river like basin. The river basin itself. Yes. I have a question. What the fuck is a river <laughs> basin? This is going to be a tough one, then. <laughs> what the fuck is a river basin, Clay? Could you give us a definition? Yes, I can. Like... So now you use it in a sentence. Wow. A river basin is the portion of land drained by river and its tributaries. It's like the end of the river. And its tributaries. Like, you know, like... (laughs) Autocratic. Well, I mean, like, you know know how a river is. It'd be complicated. Okay, I'm just gonna guess a river with a basin. Oh, wait, hold on. Um... I mean, all rivers have a basin. Does the basin have a different name than the river itself? No. It is so windy in New York. I mean, just take off the river part of the river. What? (laughs) Alright, alright. I'm ready for that. I'm not. Do you want to just give us the continent? I will let everyone else decide if that's okay. Yeah, let's do continent. Okay. Ben, are you okay with that? Oh, we're changing away from it? No, no, no. Am I allowed to give a hint for like what continent it's on? Oh, yeah, give a hint. Yeah, give a hint. But yes, it's, like on, it's, it, it's on the Eurasian continent. Hey, what was that thing called? Um, mm. in with like Iraq back in the day, was it wasn't Montezuma, and it wasn't what was it called? Montezuma, yeah, Montezuma's it was it, not Montezuma. Right. What the fuck was that thing called? It was called the, it was the first world Mozambique, not Mozambique, Methylphemia, not Methylphemia. I don't know what the fuck it is. Mesopotamia. Yeah. In this valley river civilization. Thinking, yeah. It's like to jog my memory. I was like, what do I know? Like, let's go back to <laughs> All right. First, Does everyone have question, any answers written down as we got one in your head? Oh, should we write, write it down? Yeah. Yeah, I got All it. Right. I, I can't write it down. I, I got enough to write. Can I, can I just go? I don't know. Andrew, are you done? Yeah. He's done. All right. All right. I wagered nine points out of my ten. I'm just going Danube. That is correct. Danube is correct. Ben, the what do you have? The Danube at? I'm Europe. I guess the Tigris River, but only one point. Okay, Ben down to eight points. Andrew, what do you have? I wagered five points, and I said Ganges. That means coming in with a whopping 19 points. Ezra Brody is the winner of the first week of trivia. Second place, Ben with eight. And a fall from grace, Andrew with five measly points. And that right there is what happens when you think with multipolarity. The continent is what saved me. I I thought it was going to be Lake Victoria. Well... Oh, Everyone really consented to me giving a hint, so there you have it. What's Thanks my prize? Uh, my ass. You'll get to pick the topic 
like it'll, next week we'll have topics and questions in each topic. You'll get to pick the question first and the topic. All right. And we'll do something of whoever wins the most trivia every year gets a, a trophy, maybe? Every year? We should just keep a tally of points in total. No, like you- no. You have to reset. Just count the number loser of rings. To the end of the year, uh, the winner gets to sleep with the loser's girlfriend. <laughs> well, clearly, that means you gotta start dating. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, I... What, so why why are you on this date? Well, I have this podcast going on, and I need to right. I need to offer you up. The smartest friend. Right, Although as the host, I, I don't have to do anything. So y'all, the Wheeler Dealer needs to roll out. But wait, do doesn't I. this mean? Wait, why don't I host uh, trivia next week? Um. Mm, no. Winner, Ladies winner and gentlemen, like you have to answer questions. <laughs> because I also game. produce this whole thing, and so with screen sharing and everything, it's just not going to be feasible with you doing it. Sorry. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to host and produce the entire podcast, it's not you viable. can. You it's can do. Viable. Yeah, it's not viable. It's not viable. It doesn't Wait, work in a multipolar system. Yeah. Yeah. No, is, this, is this is this podcast a multi or unipolar no, system? This is this is a unipolar hegemony right here. All right. Oh I enforce strict rules when it comes to audio and lighting. Some people are clearly falling behind on the lighting and audio fronts. Listen, I brought a lamp over here. Yeah, but you don't know how to focus the lamp on you, and you're using the wrong microphone. And anyway... Correct. Everyone have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see you soon. Long telegram. Bye.